The world is changing fast. And those that adopt modern investment strategies and digital assets will be the ones that thrive in the new economy. I'm your host, Robert J. Miller, and welcome to The True Money Show. So I made money in crypto first. Before I learned traditional finance, before I learned any business model, I was a crypto guy. And so when I learned the marketing stuff, I just attached it to what I did in crypto, case studies, VSLs, da 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 And then I was like, oh, there's actually a way to generate cash flow here because crypto doesn't cash flow. So then that's when I really went deeper into the agency side. So, but did you do anything with crypto during that time? Because like from, so you, 16, 17 is when you made a quarter million in crypto mm-hmm. on an initial bet. Then you're in agency land from then until now, really. Yeah. And at some point, did you pick crypto up again? Or were you kind of playing with it throughout that period of time? Yeah, so I've always thrown money over to crypto. It wasn't necessarily a public thing. Like there was no offering that I could make other than say, hey, buy it. Like it's going up. I know where Bitcoin's going. I've been studying this thing for years. But I think there's also seasons of figuring out where you can actually supply value in a market. So I follow a lot of great people in the crypto space, like Mark Moss, good dude. Um, You got Leah Helpburn. You have... uh, some of the main people that have just been in crypto for a very, very long time. I had Gary Cardone on my podcast and now he's entering crypto. So you have all these people that have their own personalities in crypto, right? And you don't want to just be a me too to them because if they're more established, they have 10 years of track record with it. Who are you? You know, at the end of the day, no matter how much you're marketing, you still got to build trust. So first I had to figure out, okay, where do I want to enter this market? What's the persona of like, what can people relate to me on in that market? That's number one. And then number two was, what value can I provide? Crypto got a lot of, of adoption in 2020 and 2021. Everyone's now using QR codes. So the education isn't really the value add anymore. Everyone's talking about crypto. So, okay, that's one element you can go down. The next element would have been launching some sort of education model that also had a money-making element to it. And that's okay, but crypto is so volatile that it's not a tried and true formula. You're, then you're on a rat race of the crypto market and that thing's super volatile. They don't want to do that. So I was always investing into crypto. But when I found out how to actually start the fund, uh, which was in about 2021, that's when we started investing into the resources for it. That's when I was like, ah, got it. I could do the business model of actually bringing in capital. And because I went bigger with the goal, then I actually created the downstream businesses I could attach to it to make the entire ascension make sense. So sometimes people go with that low product or low ticket product first, and there's a lot of commoditization there. But if you go upstream, typically your vision gets bigger, then you can kind of see how everything works together. So for me, I didn't really enter the crypto space marketing heavily again until about 2022, early 2022, because that's when we were going to go raise capital. But crypto market had a whole shit show. So um, we pulled back the reins on raising capital and it was just value, 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 video, 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 education to then go launch our, our fund here into 2024. Got it. Awesome. So you prepared to do the fund and I mean, things, I can't remember the exact timeline. You probably can, but uh, things unraveled in the crypto space. There was so much heat growing so quickly. Uh, all these NFT projects were happening. Mm-hmm. Everything was accelerating and then things imploded. I mean, I, on a really catastrophic level, right? The major platforms uh, that allowed you to trade um, had every problem from being poorly run to full-blown fraud, Mm -hmm. uh, which obviously rattled confidence in crypto at large, specifically all the altcoins, et cetera. But 
everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, why were you still bullish on it? And when you say education, were you monetizing at that point? Or in, did you still think fund at that point? So those are, I mean, two distinct things. First, why were you still <laughs> bullish on it when all this happened in, mm-hmm. in the face of regulation, fraud, collapse, mismanagement, government intervention, et cetera? Uh, and then, then what exactly does education mean? Yeah, so the underlying value of any crypto is just, number one, there's the actual thesis behind the project, which in Bitcoin's example, no CEO, no board to talk to, no one's promoting it from a company perspective. So you don't have the risk of company operations that are not you know, registering things properly or going through a legal battle, whatever. It's a decentralized protocol and it birthed the whole industry, number one. Um, so that that's kind of the first thing that I look at. And so when, when you get into crypto, you have to understand what you're investing in. There's the VC route where there's all these different companies, all these different token projects, and they're trying to create these ecosystems. That's more of like investing into an early stage SaaS company or something that you actually want an exit on to a publicly traded company. It's just in the crypto market. And then there's the different sectors of crypto uh, with different blockchain projects. Who are they serving and who are they attaching themselves to? So some projects, they'll attach themselves to Walmart. They'll attach themselves to you know, a banking infrastructure in order to just develop the tech on their dime. Now, when I was first getting into Bitcoin, I understood that concept, the debasement of currency, because I, I have grandparents that are uh, they were born in the 30s and 40s that are still alive. And they'll tell me that a nickel bought them freaking five course meal back in the day. I'm like, no, there's something there. That's not just, you know, that's not adding up to me. I was studying finance in college. And so when I went down and took the orange pill of Bitcoin, I was like, oh, they're just printing money. They're printing money because after World War II, we won that war. We had all the gold and we had the biggest power. So just like a company that has strong cash flows, they will lever up. They'll go either take on more debt or they'll issue new shares to go raise more debt or uh, raise more capital to invest into other projects. Same thing happened with the US. It's a business. After World War II, we had all the gold, we had all the power, so we can infinitely print this dollar. So it takes more dollars for us to actually buy things. But for them, because we had such a strong foundation, the dollar can then be used to land grab different markets. So we can go invest into, for example, Africa and go put our currency debt on their country, what we're doing right now with the Ukraine. We're giving them a bunch of money so that way when that country needs to go reproduce, rebuild, et cetera, well, hey, the borrower is always a slave to the lender and you have our currency, so you have mm. to pay us back. So I understood that concept going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole and I was like, dude, they have the controls in place and now they can just continue to issue more debt. We saw it again in COVID. Bitcoin is finite. So it's not necessarily that Bitcoin is just going to go to the moon to millions of dollars, $2 million, et cetera, because it's worth so much. It's just the hedge against the dollar. If you every single fiat currency goes to zero at some point, this thing is finite. If you just understand those two concepts, you would choose the finite resource over the thing that just could be infinitely printed. So no matter the bad actors, no matter the exchanges that went under, people are obviously doing bad actions, just like in any market with cash and drugs and whatever. But to accumulate as much of this as possible, because they know every other, you know, show that they do, they're they're selling products, whatever mechanisms that they're doing to just make money can just be stored in a reserve asset that as money prints, no matter what you do, this thing will go up because there's a fixed supply. I love that fundamental. 
somebody might challenge that by adding the asterisks of that is true if we agree that there's value to it. And the thesis of Bitcoin has changed over time uh, from it being a cryptocurrency mm-hmm. to it being a stored value. Yeah. And the for those that don't track this, right, currency is used as a medium for exchange to purchase products in an economy. And that's what the dollar does, right? Um, stored value would be like gold. Gold is not a currency. We do not buy things with gold today because mm-hmm. it's not practical. Bitcoin is also not practical to purchase things with, at least now, mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons. One is that because it's finite, the fractional nature <laughs> of it as it goes up in value is yeah. weird, right? If I want to buy a coffee with Bitcoin, it's like, you know, 0. 0143, whatever, right? Yeah. And then it makes, is it even worth it? Yeah. It's like a little bit of a friction in the purchase process. Fric- friction in the purchase. The Because of that particular blockchain, it's also very slow. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Bitcoin runs, takes 30 to 30 seconds to two minutes to run a transaction. And there are ways to accelerate that, but it defeats some of the purpose of Bitcoin, meaning specifically the decentralization element of it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, somebody would, somebody could say to that argument, if, we know that the currency isn't the driving force anymore. It's stored value. Is there any concern in your mind that at some point people are going to say, this is fabricated? And yeah, there's a finite amount, but who fucking cares? I don't want uh, a Bitcoin, this this idea. And, and if it's not concerning to you, why? Yeah, it's not concerning to me because I'm a digital apt entrepreneur. So it clicks for me. The easiest way for you know, someone that may be older or is used to real estate and stuff like that Imagine if there's a finite plot of land and everyone's trying to move there. The home values are going to go up, even if the the underlying value to build the home or whatever isn't near the value that they're quoting you on, like Miami property out here. The land is worth way more because of everything that's going on around it. Mm-hmm. It's the same type of concept. However, with real estate, and this is just how maxi you really want to get. I mean, you can compare apples to apples when it comes to, hey, real estate cash flows, Bitcoin doesn't. Uh, real estate has tax advantages, Bitcoin doesn't. Um, but you're buying things for different reasons. Real estate's a great tax uh, uh, write-off kind of play, so you can accelerate the depreciation. But you don't own it because real, uh, if you piss off the government enough, they'll come take it. And there's property taxes every single year on that. Yeah. So you're kind of renting it while you're still here on Earth. So if you just kind of take a bigger step back, what can actually transmit through time? You have the value and the energy that you've actually deployed to earn all that money. And what can you actually pass down that will hold its value and doesn't really need to be managed. If you look at real estate, dude, my condo, when I first moved in, I had like seven or eight things break within the first like two months. I'm like, this sucks, dude. I don't want (laughs) to own real estate at all. Like, this is terrible. I'm having people coming through, fixing everything. So it's, it's a business. And that's what real estate really is. It's a business. And people should look at it like that. Gold itself, the bar is not a business. Yeah. So don't compare it to other assets like that. But it's, it's a better asset to compare to digital uh, gold to you know, Bitcoin because it's like a digital gold. Where with gold, the biggest change between these two is that you can accelerate the production of gold by yeah. throwing more fiat currency at people that'll go produce more of it and go mine some of it. We actually have a gold mine investment, which totally different topic. But so I still believe in commodities yep. overall. You can't accelerate the production of Bitcoin. No, it has its finite schedule. So I'm a hundred percent with you on that. The the point that I, that I think is a curious one mm-hmm. is let's take diamonds. So diamonds, gold, 
and let's let's eliminate this the fabricated diamonds for the moment and let's just sure. say yeah, only yeah. mined diamonds yeah, right yeah. it's very similar to gold from that perspective however diamonds are only valuable because of a massive marketing engine behind the diamond industry that tells us we're supposed to buy diamonds for marriage mm-hmm. that's what makes diamonds valuable that's it so bitcoin right now is caught in a hype cycle has been and it's gone up and down but it's caught in a marketing engine that is producing this response. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not even saying that I necessarily buy into one or the other. I'm yeah, just, yeah. This is a, a, an approach to producing logic through this thesis yeah. of finite amount. So what happens if that marketing engine dissipates and people just don't value the Bitcoin anymore? Yeah, it's an interesting concept because... There's one, there's a lot of people in this world that I think will find and do find value because of the currencies that happen in other markets. It's not just a US based thing, mm-hmm. even though we are the biggest market out there. There are still other countries that will adopt it because that is better than their banking systems. Mm-hmm. So there still is a demand for this type of tech um, overall. Blockchain is, is real, banks are using it. Like the underlying tech is very, very valuable, but you make a good point of is Bitcoin going to be the thing that lasts with this whole marketing engine? And I, I took a step back and thought about, okay, how do we actually perceive value in everything that we have now with real estate as an example? All the single-family homes, all the multifamily projects, Fidelity or any one of these banks, they'll offer money at some sort of discount or they'll create some sort of program to lock people in into a fixed investment. Well, why? It's like, how do they actually execute on that? How do, how do they execute to say, hey, you can lever up into this property, you know, 5% down or 10% down. You now have a home, but now your mortgage is going to have so much interest on it that you're almost paying, you know, two times of the actual principal amount. How do they convince you to do that? It's a marketing play. Yeah. So everything's a marketing play if you yep. really look at it. And it's just making bets at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, mortgages are such a fucking scam. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy because, you know, we we have usury laws in the U.S. that prevent lenders from charging egregious rates on things. Mm-hmm. But there are all sorts of perverted permutations of those laws. Yeah, And mortgages are a reasonable example where, yes, the annual rate is X. But like you just said, what people totally ignore is, first of all, that what you pay into a house is usually more than two times the value of the house with the interest. Mm -hmm. And second, the amortization tables are fucked. (laughs) I mean, like interest, when you look at a 30-year mortgage, the first seven years, you're not even paying yourself at all. The first seven years is only interest going to the bank, mostly. But about seven years on a 30 is where you start to get some principal pay down. Mm -hmm. So you're right. Sorry, you hit a hot button there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's true. And so that applies to a lot of the investments that we look at now. Traditional, you know, money management, the, the modern market portfolio theory. Same, same thing. Why are we believing the beliefs of other people about money? Yep. And what is money? Then you go down a whole nother rabbit hole. And so I, you know, implore everyone to go down that rabbit hole. So when I first got started with the education to tie that in, it was just free value. It was just like eBooks and videos. And at first I sounded like a freaking, like a psychopath, like, like a, you know, crying wolf about monetary systems, all this stuff, because before COVID, it wasn't as obvious what was happening. Yeah. After COVID, a lot of things got exposed 
and people started waking up because of the extreme reaction to something uh, that maybe was big, maybe wasn't. I'm not here to comment on that, but um, just the extreme natures that went through with media protocols, with uh, you know, obviously the lockdowns, the monetary policy, everything changed. They printed 40% new debt in that time period. That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> you think? Yeah. Like <laughs> I get why they would do it. There's an, there's an escape goat to print that much. Everyone around the world needed the crisis. So I can issue the debt over it. And what's actually a really cool theory. This is by, uh, John Pennington. Um, if you don't know who he is, big hedge fund manager, uh, he looks at the U S dollar as, uh, a product an e-com as an mm. example. It's the number one product. They can print infinite supply, but everyone needs the dollar. Everyone wants the dollar. So you can print as much as you want and people will still have the demand for it, which means you can still lever up on top of it. You can still do all these crazy sponsorships or you can do all these crazy you know, donations to countries and stuff like that to fund what they're doing because that's what they need. And you're just giving that debt out. And so that's why I don't think that this U.S. system will stop unless there's a war that challenges it, which is where we're seeing all the tensions come from. So relative to the marketing side of Bitcoin, what I think I heard was that you think the value prop of Bitcoin is strong enough that the marketing engine is going to support it no matter what, because in contrast to the other marketing engines, uh, or the other products that have similar marketing engines, mm -hmm. it has a stronger value prop. has a stronger value prop. And now you have BlackRock and Fidelity. They just issued their ETFs and a few yep. other uh, people. They just want to capture market. Yep. So now they're at, it's at a stage now where it's not only validated, but the big boys are making money too. So, they, but, but that also, to me, diminishes some of the value, right? So one of the, one of the points that you made, which is a good one, is that the entire stock market, you are getting destroyed by the people, man, quote unquote, managing your money because they're taking their returns, whether they produce a return for you or not. They're mm -hmm. taking a fee regardless of the outcome they get for you. So that, and that works heavily against investors that are putting their money into a mutual fund or just trying to buy stocks through somebody trading for them, yeah. right? They're losing 1% or more to that person, regardless of if they actually get a return or not. Um, Bitcoin up until this comment that you just made and the reality of what just happened, uh, you didn't have that exposure, right? You could buy directly. There isn't this crazy markup. There isn't this oversight and management, but now, now enter the ETFs now enter, uh, BlackRock and traditional, um, capital markets. Isn't that going to change the product? Isn't that just going to turn it into, Hey, we've got wall street involved gouging yeah. us again to buy a fund for Bitcoin? If you don't get educated on how to manage and hold your Bitcoin, then yeah. It's the same thing with what Warren Buffett said about choosing stocks. If you're not a good stock picker, just buy the S&P 500 because all that's going to happen anyways, whether or not you're a good stock picker. And I have some hedge fund manager buddies of mine that are great at picking stocks. It's not my game, but they're making a killing on just choosing five to six stocks. So you don't need to go down the whole route of trusting other people to manage your position. Now, in a historical sense, gold was an ETF, uh, or they made uh, an ETF for gold because it's kind of hard to manage gold. I actually had some gold and silver coins. And I'm like, okay, now what do I do with it? Like, right. I just put it in my drawer and this sucks. Like, this is weird. Like, I don't, I don't know. Which, which, by the way, 
Bitcoin is also a horrible thing to manage personally or has been over the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Wallets, keys, passphrases. What the fuck are you talking about? Cold storage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like humanity has a hard time with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm a tech. I have a fucking software company. It's still a pain in the ass for me. So an ETF also simplifies that for people. It simplifies the investment exposure. Mm -hmm. But just like how it's manipulated with gold ETFs and all these other ETFs, it's going to have a de-pegging from the actual movement of the underlying asset overall. So it's at a stage now where if you own the actual crypto, if you own your keys, if you own the actual Bitcoin itself, that becomes more valuable mostly because these institutions are gobbling up and throwing their fiat money that they're making from fees and just the money that they're getting from the Fed and the governments and stuff, just throwing it directly into accumulating as much as possible. And that's why I think Michael Saylor made a brilliant move back in 2021 of just accumulating this stuff, buying and buying and buying, even through the entire shit show of 2022, because it's a balance sheet asset that you can creatively finance and he's already spitting out a bunch of cash flow. And at a certain point, you can't invest into more stocks. You can only have so much real estate in a publicly traded kind of company uh, way. There's actually laws against kind of what you were talking about earlier about how much exposure you can have to certain things so that way that the stock doesn't get too uh, liquidated down and over uh, collateralized and over leveraged. Um, so he had to go to Bitcoin because that was the only other asset that can stop the debasement of his cash that he was uh, actually generating into a better reserve asset. So I think it's a time horizon thing. I think it's a, if you look at Bitcoin by holding your keys and having the custody, it can be a pain in the ass. But if you actually do that, you're in a better situation than letting BlackRock take care of it or any of these big institutions because they don't even hold it. Coinbase is the company that custodi- mm. uh, custodies every single big institution's Bitcoin. So Coinbase is the selected one the where everyone's pouring their money in, where everyone's actually uh, betting on their their custody. Yeah. And by the way, the, you know, call it top five competitors for Coinbase all collapsed in the last 18 months. Yeah. They're the holy grail, man. When you get selected by governments to manage an entire and there's the key asset class, yep. you have different treatment. All the news stuff about Bitcoin being bad and blah, blah, blah. It's all FUD, as they call it in crypto space, but it's all to get them the time that they need to put the proper things in place. What's FUD? Uh, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Got it. Propaganda. Yep. Just, hey, don't worry about it. Nothing to see here. It's bad. It's shit. It's rat poison. Like, it's whatever. Um, so that way they can put the proper rails in place for people to get involved. And in one way, I understand it because not everyone's ready to own their Bitcoin. Like you're saying, keys can be complicated. My grandma's not going to do this. Like, it's just not there. Um, so in one way, I get it. But who benefits? They do. They own the asset and with this whole new world order where you will rent everything and never own anything. If you go really maxi with it, it's like, hey, don't own my Bitcoin then. I want to own that. Do you think that the U.S. government has a master plan to control Bitcoin? It's not the it's not the uh, U.S. government. It's the Federal Reserve. They learned from J.P. Morgan how to manipulate markets. So J.P. Morgan, I think it was in 2021 or 2022, uh, got fined a ton of money because they were manipulating the gold market and the price action in the gold market for about 10 years. They got fined billions of dollars. And what they did essentially was place trading volume. It's, it's a strategy called spoofing, essentially. Put 45 days of trading volume at a certain price, 
and 45 days of trading volume at a certain buy price. So Bitcoin hits 69K, for example. That trading volume is stacked. So people are trying to buy through it, but the Federal Reserve can print as much money as they want. So you're competing against an infinite supply above a certain price point. And so they can box things in by putting that trading volume on top and that trading volume on the bottom. So it's controlled in a sense, but that's how the stock market is. Gold was like that. I mean, this is not a new thing. So you're saying JP Morgan did that with gold, got fined, and Mm -hmm. the hypothesis is that the Fed is doing that with Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. And it's mostly John Pennington's theory, so I want to give him credit because he he put a lot of time into thinking about this theory. But it makes sense because you can't stop Bitcoin at where it's at now. They they took too long to try and figure out how to stop it. It's, It's already out of the bag. Cat's out of the bag. So they have to find ways to control that market by putting it into all of their control frameworks, and then they can place the dollar however they want on top of it. So Bitcoin will hit a certain price point, um, but now there's just different players involved. And so the market evolves. Interesting. Okay, so you have a fund called True Capital that is a fund for crypto. That's so you correct. said you've been pushing info for the last uh, while, uh, and this fund is present. We've talked a little bit about different ways to get into crypto and your advice minutes ago was if you can hold the bitcoin independently with your own keys you're going to have an edge over doing it through a fund like blackrock etc so tell me about your fund play and how crypto works there and what mm-hmm. the value prop is yeah for sure so appreciate that um yeah if you can first own your bitcoin and own your keys that's the best way to do things long-term if you have a 10, 15, 20, 50-year outlook because you don't care about the advantages of trading and getting out of the markets at proper times. So that's your thesis, cool. But what we're doing over at True Capital is we have some proprietary tech, some proprietary algorithms that we use to actually trade on institutional accounts. So just like with a big, big, big real estate deal, like a big apartment or a big uh, hotel deal, you need a sponsor to get into that deal. And that's essentially how we're acting for a lot of investors is we have institutional accounts. You can't just hook up any algorithm to an account on that level and think that there's no process to go through. And so we have a strategy with two algorithms that we layer in that helps us accumulate more Bitcoin by essentially just buying low or uh, buying low and selling high, just doing that over and over. And it runs automatically and we can program it certain ways. Um, But long story short, it's done extremely well over the past six years. One's been running for six years. One's been running for four years. And we have third-party audited results, reports, all that kind of stuff. And so um, the value prop there and what is really our alpha are those algorithms. The other portions of the fund are to accumulate more Bitcoin and to have some positions in some of these other projects that we know are going to go up. But our long-term thesis is just to accumulate more Bitcoin and pull out at the right cycle by leveraging these algorithms. Awesome. Super helpful. Uh, who are you looking for to invest in the fund? And do you have uh, a cap on it? Uh, what are the parameters there? Yeah, so we can only take on accredited investors and up. So accredited investors, qualified purchasers, and qualified clients. Uh, our minimum check size is $250,000, and we're raising $50 million as of right now. Um, so we're about, uh, or we're actually finalizing the launch of the paperwork, but we'll be up in our capital raising efforts here within the next two, three weeks. And uh, we'll see where we're at when this things go live. I love it, man. Um, awesome. Uh, Robert, where do you want to point people? They want to find out more about you, about any projects you have going on. Where uh, where should they look? 
Yeah, sure thing. You guys can reach out to me at the Robert J. Miller on Instagram or on Twitter, the Robert J. Miller underscore. Don't fall for any of the scam bots that are out there. There's plenty of pages, but you'll see the check mark and the profile picture. We'll link it below as well. But uh, yeah, that's where you guys can find me and reach out if you have questions. Love it. Robert, I appreciate you taking on the time, man. It's been great to talk. Yeah, sure thing, man. Appreciate it.